Welcome to Knickknack News. I'm Anthony. And I'm Alex. And my first story today is food news. This is from Vice.com. The headline is, Japanese people are reviving a 1,000-year-old dish because of the coronavirus. Okay. Yeah. As the number of confirmed cases of coronavirus in the United States grows, a lot of people have started panic buying items. The Wall Street Journal reports that Kroger, the country's biggest grocery store chain, has put a five-item-per-person limit on hand sanitizers and cold and flu medications. But panic buying isn't limited to the United States. Some supermarkets in the United Kingdom have also started to limit the amount of toilet paper, long-life milk, and packages of dry pasta that each shopper can buy, too. And in Japan, rumors that dairy farmers could lose their jobs due to a virus-related milk surplus have caused well-meaning residents to essentially panic buy milk. And so a lot of people in Japan are buying more milk than they know what to because do with. Because the virus is causing there to be too much? I, there was just one <laughs> sentence explaining this, but the, the virus is somehow causing there to be too much So they're just going to blow right past that. So they're going to... What that means. Yeah, I think what it means is that the demand for milk was reduced because, because of, the of the virus somehow. And so people became aware of that, and they're trying to buy more milk to keep the demand constant so that the dairy farmers don't lose their jobs. That's, that's what I interpreted. Very altruistic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, that's what I interpreted from it. So if someone knows different, please let us know. But that's what I interpreted. So as a result of that, people have been buying um, all this milk, and then now they're making this milk-based food that hasn't really been eaten in the country for the past thousand years because they have this milk and they don't know what to do with it. Um, and it's like a cheese thing. Okay. And it's called so or sa. Not exactly sure how to pronounce, but I'm going to go with so. Uh-huh. Um, it was reportedly a luxury food from the Asuka period, which was 538 to 710 AD to the Heian period, 795 to 1185 AD. Like, that's how old it is. It's very old. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it's considered to be Japan's first dairy product. Um, At that time, so was eaten by the aristocracy for either medicinal reasons or just as a straight-up dessert. Um, And it was also possibly given as a gift to assorted emperors, according to ancient Mm. texts or I I don't know where they got this info. Cheese is a wonderful gift for all occasions, if you ask me. It's so good. Feel free to give me Um, cheese whenever you want. Uh, so re- <laughs> this article said, regardless of his purpose then, so is having a moment now, because what else are you going to do with those five extra gallons of milk? According to Sora News 24, there's no exact recipe, but some book that was finished in the year nine- 927 has a set of, quote, governmental regulations regarding how to prepare this. I don't know. Oh, so the general idea was to boil down approximately 18 liters or 4.76 gallons of milk. Oh, my gosh. Right. Until there's only 1.8 liters or 0.48 gallons left. So we're going from 4.7 gallons to like a half gallon. Yeah, that sounds like the perfect recipe for a surplus of milk, doesn't it? (laughs) Right. And that results in a dense dairy solid that can be sliced and Mm. eaten and looks (laughs) a lot like cheese. But I love, don't know if it is love, technically, and that's what it looks like. I love the term dairy solid. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, it, just it looks, looks like cheese. It looks like cheese to me. But it's 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 basically just dehydrated. It's a dehydrated milk solid. Uh-huh. 
wonder what it tastes like. So, they said it was used for dessert. Does that mean it's sweet or does that just mean uh, that? Okay. So I think if you don't put any salt in this, okay. As someone who's made cheese <laughs> <That's true. You laughs> before, <have. laughs> um, if you just make like a dairy product like this without putting any salt in it, it usually actually tastes kind of like, oh, it could be considered sweet. Like it's not mm-hmm. like sugary, obviously, but right. it's not. So it's not like savory. It's savory. Okay. It's just kind of it's plain, you know. Hmm. So maybe that's why. Hmm. Okay. I mean, you had me at cheese, so I'm 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 on board yeah. with this. So I kind of want to make this recipe because it looks interesting. It does sound yeah. It does sound cool. Uh, and like I said, I've but been do experimenting. We, do we have a milk surplus here? I have not heard that. Okay. I've not heard of that. Hmm. I mean, I haven't bought any milk. But I also Neither don't I. usually buy any milk. I also don't usually buy milk unless I'm making... Something with milk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't, like, drink milk. Yeah. But I've used it in baking uh-huh. and cheese making mm-hmm. sometimes. Yep. That's cool. My first story is science news. Which I mostly said because I didn't want to also call it food news after <laughs> because I have another food news story. <laughs> but uh, it's it's science food, food science. Great. News. Um, anyway, this is from Ars Technica. Uh, alternative meat industry moves beyond the burger. That's right. I'm bringing another story about fake meat. <laughs> I don't know why these fascinate me so much, but here we go. Uh, once preoccupied with perfecting the mince-like patty of the plant-based burger... The alternative protein industry is now turning its attention to more ambitious products whose textures are like actual cuts of steak and chicken breast. Oh. Yeah, we've kind of alluded to this before, but now they're they're really yeah. getting into this. Um, unlike burger alternatives, for which texturized plant proteins and other ingredients, including vegetable oil, are mixed together and molded into a patty, cut meat products are made by layering extruded fibers on top of one another. So essentially they take like the plant, uh, plant-based protein and just make very, very fine filaments pretty much. Cause when you think of something yeah. like steak, it's got kind of, I don't want to say stringy texture to it, but there is like, there's like a, a fibrous, to it, right? Like a fibrousness yeah. Yeah. to it. So that's what they're trying to reproduce wow. with, with this process. Huh. Um, Chris Kerr, Co-founder of the New Crop Capital, a uh, which is an investing group or something in food startups <laughs> that specifically disrupt industrial animal farming. Uh, he says, in the plant-based foods world, the filet is our holy grail. <laughs> uh, simply, uh, simply ground or minced meats are quite easy. Anything shredded or sliced is fairly simple, though I don't think we've really seen sliced. No. Um, but a thick cut of steak or fish does not really exist. True. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want foods that replicate as close as possible the finished forms of foods consumers expect when sitting down for a culinary experience. So basically, we want to make steak and we want to make it fake. Um, <laughs> concerns about the environmental impact of livestock rearing and animal cruelty have spurred on R&D and, in- and alternative proteins over the past few years, and that's both plant-based proteins and um, like growing protein from animal cells um oh both kind of competing industries though the the latter hasn't actually really produced any consumer products yet yeah Um, yeah 
While consumer enthusiasm over plant-based meat continues to grow, it's still a nascent category, accounting for just 1% of overall U.S. meat sales, according to alternative protein lobbying firm uh, and consultancy Good Food Institute. Alternative protein is just like such an unappealing way of describing this stuff. It's it's kind of like milk solid. (laughs) Um, Also, just... This fun stat, a recent survey of 500 Americans by U.S. marketing firm Charleston Orwig on synthetic or lab-grown foods such as cell-based meat found that 40% described the products as, quote, scary. (laughs) Uh, Though younger consumers between 18 and 24 were significantly more accepting and interested in trying the foods compared to those 65 and older. Shocking. (laughs) Whoa. Whoa. Younger people are more open to change than older people. Wild. Whoa. You never guess that from everything. Um, But yeah, so they're really kind of, they they really want to create a stake from this and more power to them. I think that sounds awesome. Yeah. I'd say go for it. I would love, go for it. I would love to feel less guilty about all the, the meat I like to eat. Yeah. And just, I'm, I'm thinking about the fibrous thing. Like, mm-hmm. I think they could be successful with that. Yeah. It kind of, I mean, with 3d printing, you would imagine they'd be able to essentially print layers of meat and yep. then build a yeah. steak essentially, like, which yeah, is yeah. such an unappealing way again to talk about yes, this. But. It's, it's not appetizing to think of it that way, but I think they can be successful with that because that's actually like the, the reason it's like that is because muscle tissue is built that way. Mm-hmm. So if we know the structure, then we can recreate it. Right. So I think it's pretty exciting. It's science. It's science. It's food. It's food science. <laughs> Okay, my next story is animal news. This is also kind of an entertainment news, but I wanted to make the animal news. It's got a lot of combos from, this week. Yeah, um, it's from Hollywood.com. Lady Gaga's flamboyant style has inspired the name of a new insect species. <laughs> yep, there's oh. an insect named after her now. Excellent. The Kaikaya Gaga. That's... I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I hope I hope you are, because that's amazing. <laughs> Kaikaya. Uh, the Kaikaya gaga is a new species of the tree hopper bug, um, which was actually found almost three decades ago near the Pacific coast of Nicaragua, but I guess wasn't named. I don't know. They were waiting for gaga. Yep. <laughs> they, <laughs> they, they waited, and they finally found the right inspiration. Um, its unique features prompted scientists to name the bug after Lady Gaga, I will show you a photo. Good. A PhD candidate in entomology at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, who studied the species extensively, said this. If there is going to be a Lady Gaga bug, it's going to be a treehopper because they've got these crazy horns. They have this wacky fashion sense about them. Uh They're unlike anything you've ever seen before. So I was reading this and I was like, okay, all right, I want to see this bug. I'm like imagining this like really colorful, like out there thing. Okay, this is it. Oh my! Huh? I I don't know if well, I would have. That's its face. Still, I don't know if I would have gone the Lady Gaga route so much as like the Satan route. It's pretty devilish. It, it's looking. very ugly. Yeah. Which is not how I would describe Lady Gaga. No, not not, uh, not for a second. It ha- Yeah, it's so the rest of its body basically looks like a like a grasshopper kind of thing, like a. Um, like a bug with wings, uh-huh. but bigger than like a fly or something. Yeah. And then that's its head. 
I mean, to be fair, I guess I could see Lady Gaga rocking an outfit inspired by this thing. Yeah. I could picture I could too. like big horned shoulder pads or something. Mm-hmm. I could see that face as like a chest piece. That, yeah, actually, yes, yes. That's a good but point. But it's still not where my head would go, if, like where my mind would go if like I if saw Like if you that saw this, time. you wouldn't no. immediately think, no. oh, that looks like Lady Gaga. Mm-mm. Yeah, a bad romance would not start playing in my head. I, <laughs> I, I do not see it. Yeah, so it's, a, it's interesting. But uh, hey, that's an accomplishment. I think a lot of people can't say that they've gotten to, at least, that they have a bug named after them. That's true. I can't. I can't either. Yeah, that's two people. My next story is dinosaur news. This is from Gizmodo. Skull found in amber reveals tiny toothed bird. It's a little bird with teeth. I can't wait to show you pictures of it. It's it's real goofy looking. <laughs> it's not I have cute. A very cu- oh, I have it's a very cute, cute, cute uh, picture in my mind right well, now. Get that out of your head. <laughs> oh no. It's kind of, it's, it's not scary, but it's also not, it's a little creepy looking maybe. Oh. Anyway, uh, the Mesozoic is famous for producing gigantic animals, but as new research published on Wednesday in the, uh, I think it's, is it, it's not a magazine, Nature, is that a magazine or is it a journal? I think that's a journal. I think it's a journal. Um, but as this research uh, published in Nature reveals, this era also featured animals of an astonishingly small size. A seven millimeter long skull, millimeters, that's, that's a little, uh, found trapped in amber represents a new species of tiny bird like dinosaur, which its discoverer is named Oculu, oh boy, Oculu dentivus, uh, congrai. There's two A's in a row and I never know how to pronounce that. Oh, wait, two, at the end of the word? Yeah. The, the second name is K-H-A-U-N-G-R-A-A-E. Congray. 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 Yeah. Congray. Okay. Um, but oculodentivus, I'm pretty confident. <laughs> uh, the beaked animal lived 99 million years ago during the Cretaceous period of Myanmar. And Myanmar? Whatever. Uh, and it's now considered the smallest dinosaur in the fossil record. Uh, of all of them? Yeah, it's it's considered the smallest dinosaur in the entire fossil record. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, Jingmei O'Connor, the lead author of the study and a paleontologist from the Institute of Vertebrate Paleontology and Paleoanthropology in Beijing, China, says, It's the weirdest fossil I've ever been lucky enough to study. I just love how natural selection ends up producing such bizarre forms. <laughs> it's so... It's like... Seven millimeters for his That's like, very, it's, very it's small. His head is less than a centimeter. That's wild. Um, using high-resolution synchrotron CT scanning, the researchers hmm. were able to study the fossil in exquisite detail without having to crack the amber open. And there's also a picture of like the CT scan that's really cool that I will also show you. Oh. Um, the skull measures, like I said, just seven millimeters in length, which is, is comparable in size to the skull of a bee hummingbird, which is the smallest modern living bird. Um, they're hummingbirds that are just very, very tiny. They kind of yeah. look like bees because of how small they are. Yeah. Um, Oculodentivus is about one sixth the size of the smallest known early fossil bird. So it's much smaller than anything we've seen before. Mm. Uh, this indicates that only shortly after their origins late in the Jurassic period, birds had already attained their minimum body sizes. 
So basically, they got small very soon after they started existing. Uh, unlike modern hummingbirds who use their beaks to sip nectar from flowers, Oculodentivus had a beak adorned with dozens of sharp teeth. With an estimated 29 or 30 teeth, Oculodentivus has more teeth than any other bird found in the fossil record. Um, Wait, other birds have, have teeth? There's actually a lot of birds from this period that had teeth. Whoa. There's not so many birds anymore that do. Some some have like a beak that's like serrated almost, but mm. like teeth are pretty uncommon. I, if if any birds have them anymore, I'm not sure, but they used to. I didn't know kind that. Kind of just like, which kind of makes sense because they're kind of like a stepping stone between modern birds and dinosaurs. Yeah. So. I guess that does. Yeah, that's um, true. And again, I'll show you a picture of kind of what this looked like. Um, to house all these teeth, Oculodentivus had an exceptionally long ro- uh, tooth row that extended all the way back to just under its eye. So it has these giant eyes on the side of its head, and its teeth go like, and its beak and teeth go all the way back, like under its eye. Um, so distinctive is this feature that the researchers chose the name Oculodentivus, which you might have kind of guessed from the root words of it, means right. eye tooth. Right. In Latin. Yes. So. Um, oh. it's, I, I'm so excited to show you these pictures. It's such a weird looking little thing. Uh, I'm excited to see the pictures. So this is the skull and the amber, first of all, which you, I mean, it's, okay. we're so lucky that amber happened Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it just preserves things like nothing else. Um, here's like an artist rendition of what like the whole bird might've looked like. Okay. So, so yeah, kind of like pretty a typical. bird. Um, a little bit. But, oh, and here's the CT scan of the beak, which is so cool. Oh, wow. It's so detailed. And it's like a fully intact uh, skull. Yeah. Um, Also, I don't know if you were able to see closely enough. You can see the teeth. They extend all the way back here. Wow. And they go, like, they're very they're very uh it almost looks like a like an alligator yeah yeah it, it definitely has aspects of that <laughs> this looks so dopey but it's like what the, what its head looks like up close <laughs> like an artist's rendition of the head okay that this, does look kind of dopey because it's, it's teeth only come out of the top <laughs> so yeah. it just looks like <laughs> you know like that you know, meme what, like the, what that the one like. the steven meme yeah <laughs> a little bit also like the ermagerd <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah the steven is also very accurate <laughs> but yeah wow it's, uh there's more in the article too about kind of where it fits in the fossil record um there's some debate about like where it actually fits given its age but you can read about that yourself if you want to my next story is entertainment news this is from comicbook.com the headline is, Stephen King's The Outsider is a bigger hit for HBO than Watchmen and True Detective. And I wanted to talk about this because I've been watching The Outsider, and it's okay. really good. <laughs> I was going to say, I haven't heard of The Outsider, so... Oh, you haven't? No. Oh, I can talk about it then. <laughs> well, okay, so you don't really like scary stuff. Nope. So I don't know that you would like this show. Uh-oh. Actually, because it's, it's a Stephen King right. adaptation. Yeah, I kind of assumed. So, um, but have you seen Watchmen? Mm-hmm. Okay. Have you seen True Detective? No. Okay. So True Detective is also really good, but they're talking about season three, which just came out. So and has been highly anticipated for a long time. So they were expecting it to be like very, very. It seems like it's been a while since season two. Yes. 
It's like several years. Mm -hmm. Stephen King adaptations and HBO series are often major hits with viewers, and the combination of the two for the debut season of The Outsider resulted in the series besting the ratings of both Watchmen and True Detective Season 3, according to Variety. Across all platforms, the series earned an average of 9 million viewers per episode, with a besting Watchmen's average of 7 million viewers per episode, and Season 3 of True Detective's average of 8 million viewers per episode. Wow. So Watchmen only had 7... I mean, this has had... um, Two million more viewers per episode than Watchmen, which is kind of like cr- a crazy that is number. Crazy because Watchmen, I I feel like I usually hear about HBO shows that are really popular and good. I'm surprised I haven't heard anything about this one. Maybe or maybe the everything name... knows that you're you don't like scary yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm not getting all the technology scary knows you. I don't it's know. It's true. Another significant data point is that the series season finale this pack past week earned 2.2 million viewers across all platforms like when it aired which is a million more viewers than the series premiere had on its air date marking it, it <laughs> so more and more people million. are finding out about it and i'm just still here in the dark yeah so and and th- that change w- was the biggest improvement of a series debut season from its premiere to its finale from in any for any hbo show okay wow so I guess even Game of Thrones, like season one. That kind of like, makes sense, though. I feel like between... most most likely that number would drop off over the course of a season, not increase, right? For most shows, uh, or seasons, maybe? Yeah. No, I think it would... Inc- why would it drop off? I think it would, like, as more people find out about I it... I guess that's true. They're saying that the increase, which yeah, normally would like happen across season seasons... would make sense. Yeah. yeah. It okay. happened, like, really quickly. Like, the in- that increase of, like, people finding out about the show happened at a very fast rate yeah. compared to other shows. I'm not a rating scientist. So so, <laughs> neither am I. I. I had to kind of <laughs> interpret these numbers <laughs> offline here. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so I thought that was interesting as a watcher of HBO shows. I don't know. Because um, like, yeah, like what I just said, because Game of Thrones season one apparently didn't even have that same rate of increase. That's kind of surprising to me because that show was a huge hit for them. Right. But maybe like, Again, like a lot more people started watching it not in the first season. Like I know I didn't start watching it until the second or third. Yeah, I don't think I started until the third. Yeah. Huh. So what's what is the outsider about? Okay. Yes, (laughs) I will tell you. Um, (laughs) So it's um, it's basically a murder mystery, except it has an element of the supernatural in it too. In a nutshell. So that's like not spoiling anything. So the whole like the main characters are this group of people that are trying to solve um a murder and they you know they kind of like bring a, there's a few people that kind of get brought together into this kind of like team you know and uh-huh. then they're going around trying to solve it and they kind of end up realizing that there's this element of supernatural to it and like slowly over the course of the show like they be, realize like oh my gosh this is actually Real. that's actually what this is yeah. and and then they try to find the thing okay so it's very good and I'm excited to watch the finale. Is it, is it really scary? Um, no, honestly, oh, okay. it's really not. It's like it, the way it's filmed, though, is like a thriller where you kind of are constantly like expecting something scary to happen. Oh, gosh. But like, so it's 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 that. It's like it has this sense of like dread almost. Actually, um, in this article later, they were talking about Jason Bateman is in this series, uh-huh. and he apparently um, produced and directed the first two episodes, and he said he was inspired by The Shining in terms of, like, which oh. I don't know if you've seen, because I know you don't I've like I've seen aspects of, or um, pieces of it, but not but, the whole thing. 
the part of that whole movie is just this constant, like, you just feel like something bad's going to happen. Like, it's filmed that way. And this is filmed that way, too. Like, he said he well, actually took like inspiration from that. sounds like an enjoyable television experience. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm going to sit good. down for an I mean, hour and like... constantly feel bad. <laughs> but no, you don't feel bad. I mean, you feel bad, I guess. It's, that's, what, that's what a thrill... I mean, it's, it's keep, it keeps you on the edge of your seat, you know, because you're like... Yeah. There's a chance I would oh, enjoy it, but also... Yeah. Yeah, but it's not, it's yeah. not like, scary. Like, it's not okay. that way. It's... It's not like it, the movie. It's, I don't think it's like that. Okay. It's not like there's constant like jump scares and crazy things. Yeah, happening. jump scares are really wicked. No, I'm a very jumpy person. No. Yeah. All right. So you might like it. Maybe I will. Maybe I, maybe yeah. I'll give it a shot. Add it to my list. Okay. Yeah. If if you're listening and you don't know this already, I, I think I said this five minutes ago, but I like this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I will be talking about thriller slash scary things in television and film <laughs> periodically <laughs> and i will not <laughs> my next story is food news which i kind of alluded to earlier um this is from cnn it's a really short story and honestly i mostly just want to make fun of it uh, mcdonald's is selling a new big mac with four patties what so you know, the, the Big Mac is bread, meat, bread, meat, bread. Wait, bread, meat, bread, meat, bread. Yeah. Uh, so and it's there's like two, two bottoms. It's, yeah, there's two bread bottoms and there's two patties and then there's one bread top. Yes. <laughs> um, beginning on Thursday, McDonald's added a Little Mac and a Double Big Mac to its menu for a limited time. They are smaller and larger, respectively unnecessarily unnecessary respectively versions of its flagship big mac hamburger i could have guessed what? that the little mac was a smaller version um the little mac is similar to a mcdonald's single cheeseburger it's basically a big mac without being it just has the special sauce and that's it's, Wait, it's just a cheeseburger it's a cheeseburger with a special sauce on it like the big mac sauce whatever that is oh it has a sauce that's not right. on the other burgers yep that's that's it for that one um okay and the double big mac has four burger patties compared to the regular Big Macs, two burger patties. So instead, where there's like two, when there's where there's one patty, there are now two. <laughs> so oh, so there's still so just only one. So bread? it's bread, meat, meat, bread, meat, meat, bread, <sighs> as opposed to bread, meat, bread, meat, bread. That is, and then there's the bread, meat, bread, a lot, which is just a burger. Um, yeah, it's a it's a lot of food. It's surprisingly only 760 calories. Really? Which seems low to me. That does seem low. I'm intrigued by but, that. I mean, That's it is actually like, doable. I think it was like 40 grams of fat or something. Like it is probably oh, not yeah. very good for you. Um, this article also pointed out that McDonald's has sold different versions of the Big Mac in the past. In 2017 and 2018, it sold the Grand Mac and the Mac Junior, which I assume the Mac Junior was thing. just the same as the Little Mac. <laughs> the Grand Mac only used two patties still, but they were larger patties. That's it. I really wanted the Little Mac to be like, the same as a Big Mac, but the circumference is just half the size. So it's like a like a cylinder of burger. They just like take a pipe and just go and just yeah. take whatever's in the pipe and right. I don't know what they do with the rest of it. Um, Donut. They Mac. make they make they kind of like smush it into these cheeseburger balls oh. and sell those at, and then deep fry them and then they would sell those as uh, Big Mac balls. That's probably. That name could probably be workshopped some. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, I don't. 
I have no further comments. <laughs> I okay at that calorie count, I actually would eat one of those if I was I in mean, the mood for a fast food burger. I'd try it. It's a big. It's just a big burger, right? I've never had a Big Mac. I don't think I have either, actually. Huh? Huh? <laughs> yeah. So when they said the special sauce, I'm like, I don't. Know yeah, I didn't. Know, I didn't know what that was either. Sorry, I just. I assume it's. I assume it's some kind of aioli. They all are. Yeah. All right, it's time for breaking news. The part of the show where Anthony and I look up news stories that just happened today or were just posted today, and we read them to you on the fly. Aioli. Ready, set, go. go! All right, this was just a uh, kind of ironic slash funny headline on Bloomberg.com that I found. Okay. Um, coronavirus conference gets canceled because of coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> I did hear about this, and the friend who, res- who told me I responded with an Alanis Morissette gift, so. <laughs> <laughs> Fitting. Yeah. Fitting. Um. So there was a roundtable called Doing Business Under Coronavirus scheduled for this Friday in New York, and uh, it's been canceled because the virus is spreading too quickly. Especially in New York. Is it spreading a lot in New York? Yeah, I mean, it's a city of just because it's a city. Yeah, anywhere that's a big city, I feel like it's lots of people in close proximity. Yeah, like the subway system and that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So because it spreads so easily, like people don't know that they're spreading it, and yeah. Basically, wa- wash your hands. Stay safe out there. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Cover your mouth when you cough. Yeah, and, and, and also, uh, like, you know, if you are in a position that you could kind of, the social distancing thing, like, mm-hmm. kind of, you know. Do what you do can. Do it. Yeah. yeah. I found this on UPI. Cow with surprising speed evades Florida police for months. What? <laughs> I want to know everything about this. I'm going to tell you everything I possibly can. <laughs> Police in Florida are asking for the public's help tracking down a cow that has evaded <laughs> capture since January oh due to its God. surprising speed and amazing fence jumping skills. <laughs> The Pembroke Pines Police Department said in a Facebook post that the cow has been spotted in the area near Sheridan Street and Interstate 75 multiple times over the course of the last two months. Uh, It has managed to evade our capture uh, or evade capture by both our officers and assisting cow herders since January. Um, And the post included a photo of the cow stylized as a wanted poster. And I'm going to read the poster to you because it's it's pretty funny, too. And they said, while the cow itself doesn't present a threat to the public, it has been known to enter roadways where it endangers itself and surrounding motorists. So that's why they want to capture it. Mm. Um, the uh, They don't know where the cow came from, and its owner has not yet been identified. Um, but let me just go oh. and pull up this Facebook post. They don't even know whose it is. It's just a, nope. a, a rogue cow, and they're just trying to catch it, and they don't even Yeah, they don't huh. know where it will go. Uh, description, female cow, brown with a white head, faster than it looks, talented fence jumper, enjoys pools. <laughs> don't we all? Uh, frequents the area near the, already near the streets. The cow is not considered dangerous, but it has been known to walk into the roadway, drive carefully, pending charges, moving <laughs> violations, uttering false checks. I don't know what that means. And fleeing and eluding police. So... Please contact the Pembroke Pines Police Department if you have any information regarding this very fast cow. <laughs> I didn't know cows could jump over fences. I didn't know cows could be fast. 
Yeah, I guess I didn't know that either. <laughs> but yeah, jumping a fence, like, I mean, I don't know how high we're talking. I assume not like a very high fence, but still, it's jumping but, something. Okay, even like a medium-sized fence, though. Can you I imagine think... a cow jumping a fence? No, I cannot. They just I can imagine to... a cow, like, flopping over a fence. How do you not catch a cow for months? I don't know. Like... You'd think it would stick out very easily. Right. And be easily, like, findable. And it's got to be so fast if it's evading these people multiple times. Yeah. You know what? And they like they have cattle herders there. I'm rooting for the cow. <laughs> I hope they never catch it. <laughs> <laughs> but it runs and runs and runs, but it keeps coming back to taunt them. But yeah, continues to yes. run. <laughs> Every night at midnight, the lead police officer on this case looks out his window and the cow is just, just across staring. the street staring at and him. It just and it just bolts away. Yeah, it just runs away. <laughs> Leaves a cow-shaped cloud of smoke. <laughs> I love this story. That's I think I'm rooting for the cow, too. Yeah. I want to see how long I can can keep going. Cow, 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 cow. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. We post episodes every Friday, and as always, the links to this week's stories will be in the episode description. You can subscribe to Knickknack News on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And while you're there, we haven't asked in a while, why don't you leave a rating or review? Let us know what you think. Or tell your friends. Or tell your friends. And tell your friends. Do both. Do it all. Yeah. We're asking a lot of you, and we expect you to do it all. We have high expectations. Five of stars you guys. only. <laughs> and also, only your best friends. Could, yeah. <laughs> only your five star friends. We, <laughs> only, <laughs> we only want top notch. Your top, your, top, your top eight. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Open up your MySpace page. See who's in there. See who was in your top eight yeah. back when you used MySpace. And only tell them. Actually, don't. <laughs> Actually, don't. No, tell everyone. Tell everyone you know. Even the people in your bottom eight, which wasn't a feature on my... I never actually had a MySpace. I just know the top eight was a thing. Anyway, this has gone long. I had long, one for like This has gone months. on long enough. <laughs> Honestly, we really love reading reviews. And we're really grateful for any that you get. Yeah, we're grateful so for you fun. sharing the podcasts. We're grateful for all of you. And we love you guys. Yeah. Thank you. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.